Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 13th chapter. Glory to you, Lord. Now Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be cured, and not on the Sabbath day. But the Lord answered him and said, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for eighteen long years, be set free from this bondage on this Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame, and the entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that he was doing. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Christ. <clears throat> You really can't make up the stuff that we read and hear in the news these days. It's no joke. There's a lot to be offended by right now. It's like a virtual buffet of offensive things to choose from. Let's pick just a single day from this past week. Our elected leadership has accused Jews who vote for Democrats as being disloyal or ignorant shared clips of a conspiracy theorist who called him the King of Israel, or the second calling of Christ, told reporters that he's the chosen one to take on China in trade, and attacked the Prime Minister of Denmark because she called his idea to buy Greenland absurd. And that was just Thursday. Pretty offensive, any one of these things. But let's not spend hours on all of that after all we can and do read the news. Suffice it to say, there's plenty to be offended by right now, but healing somebody on the Sabbath certainly isn't one of them. And furthermore, healing a woman whose rights in the time of Jesus were practically non-existent, not such an unimaginable future for women today as our rights seem to be coming under more and more scrutiny. Let's be clear, we know that Jesus healing this woman is not offensive. After all, we live in modern times when we believe that all people have the right to be cured, regardless of gender or race or orientation or socioeconomic class. However, in Jesus' time 2,000 years ago, women were indisputably considered inferior to men, with influence and power restricted to the home. When Jesus lived, when Caesar Augustus ruled over the Roman Empire, it was a macho and misogynistic society. Women certainly did not enjoy equal rights with men. For example, women were legally the property of their fathers until they married and became the legal property of their husbands. And yet, even then, long ago, there were some signs of hope. Women who navigated this challenging terrain and left a major mark on history they were wives, 
lovers and mothers of emperors, women like Budicha, who led a revolt against Roman rule, women like Helena, who was mother and advisor to Constantine, the first Christian emperor, women like Livia, who was wife and partner to one emperor, Octavian Augustus, pushing the limits of her power and influence on his policies on behalf of others. She was also mother to another emperor, Tiberius, grandmother to Emperor Claudius, great-grandmother of Emperor Caligula, and great-great-grandmother of Nero. Not that those last two would have made her proud had she lived to see them ascend the throne. Livia navigated her way through all of these emperors, some virtuous, some monstrous, by silently serving as confidant and advisor. These women were subversively bold and courageous at a time when they had no public voice, vote, or rights. But they are rare examples. Most women in Jesus' time existed at the mercy of men, and God forbid they become widowed, divorced, or crippled, like the woman in today's gospel. One day while Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, he notices this crippled woman, and Jesus calls to her, unheard of really for a man to do, especially to a woman in her condition, especially, especially as a teacher in the synagogue, and especially, especially, especially when those around you are looking for the smallest reason to get you in trouble. Jesus is about to cross all kinds of lines here, and others are noticing <laughs> And they're growing more and more offended. Then Jesus does the unthinkable. Jesus touches this woman. He touches her in her crippled and unclean state. A man publicly touching a woman who is not his wife in plain view for all to see. In the presence of others and in the synagogue. Preposterous. Offensive. And then Jesus moves from the unthinkable to the impossible. As if noticing her and calling to her were not offensive enough, he heals her. And the minds of the offended ones are blown. This, they say, this is too much. This Jesus has gone too far. Now we've got you, they say. You healed on the Sabbath, and because technically healing is working, you've broken the third commandment. You, my sir, have broken the law. And Jesus turns to them and says, I wrote that law. Healing this woman does not break the law. It honors God in whose image she is made. Your offense breaks the law. You see, to Jesus, women are as intrinsically valuable and precious as men. In fact, in the Gospels, Jesus doesn't treat women as females at all. He treats them as human beings. But at that time, in that place, his healing, this woman, it offended everybody. The Roman law, <clears throat> which says she has no value as a citizen, and Jewish law, which says nobody should be healed on the Sabbath anyway. No exceptions. In this way, Jesus offends everybody, but not in the way that we see offense happening today by excluding people, 
by detaining people indefinitely, by insisting on bearing arms while our school children tremble in fear, by making the poor poorer, by threatening to take away public services from the already marginalized, by creating a culture of racism, homophobia, and misogyny. In contrast, to what we see happening today, Jesus does not offend by oppressing. Jesus offends by liberating. Jesus offends authoritative powers by setting the unjustly captive free, by lifting up that which has been cast down, by restoring hope where there was no hope, by replacing shame with dignity, by giving this woman not just a corrected posture, but a brand new beginning. After all, Jesus is not a physical therapist. Jesus is the Son of God. Because you see, for this woman, who doesn't even get a name in this story, this is no mere sweet act of kindness or warm fuzzy for her. This is new life. She's a person again. Instead of a rejected shadow begging for coins and scraps of food just to be able to survive, this restores her back to community. She is no longer outcast. This is a new life of looking out and up rather than in and down for her. This is not just a new day. This is an entirely new life. And Jesus risks everything to give this crippled, unnamed woman new life, even if, especially if, it means offending every single person in the synagogue that day. Because Jesus thinks this unnamed, crippled woman is worth their offense. I remember one of my professors her name is Dr. Norma Cook Everest, preaching on the same passage over 20 years ago, preaching to a chapel full of seminary students at Wartburg Seminary, myself among them, who were preparing to enter the ordained ministry. We were idealistic, optimistic, unshakable in our naivety and our innocence, eager to go out into congregations whom we were certain would love us and approve of us all the time. At the end of her sermon, I remember her sliding her glasses all the way to the end of her nose and peering out over the top of them at us, pointing her finger and ominously lowering her voice and saying, beware. One day you too will heal on somebody's Sabbath and you will offend many for the sake of the gospel, at least if you're doing it right. It did not give her any thought until 16 years later when my own two congregations turned on me and my sons, all because I officiated at a marriage between two men. And as their outrage and indignation exploded, as they expressed their offense in hissed words and threats not so veiled, I remember Dr. Cook's warning. And I understood what she meant. There are times when following Jesus means offending others. If we extend love and hope and compassion to another person, 
Sometimes there's a tremendous price to pay for being an instrument of grace and giving someone a new beginning. And now is the time of new beginnings, not only for the woman in today's gospel, but for students, elementary, secondary, college, graduate students for whom classes now resume for the fall semester. We pray for you, dear ones, that you might have insatiable curiosity, insight, courage to learn math and science and language and art and sport in order to use your wisdom to legally defend the immigrant family, to create formulas and equations that address global warming and public health, to inspire diplomatic relations in regards to trade and global economy, to give articulation to issues of social justice both locally and globally, to learn foreign language so as to understand the reality of another human being across the globe. To study art so as to transcend the limits of human language, prejudice of culture, and the distance of geography. To participate in sport so as to make one another quick and strong and healthy. To push muscle and bone and human will to the limit the glory of God and the miraculous human body that God has created, to explore the mysteries of creation, space, ocean, to plumb the depths of the earth's core, to save the earth's glaciers before they disappear right in front of our eyes, may your wisdom abound and even offend if you use it to cure to save, to heal and solve and discover. We wish you the same joy in your new beginning that today's woman surely felt in her brand new beginning to face new life with a voracious appetite, shoulders back, chin up, chest out. It is not only to this woman and to students, though, that Jesus gives new life. Indeed, the touch of Jesus gives all people new life. Jesus moves all people from the state of being in curvatus in se, that is the Latin phrase of being curved in upon ourselves, whether literally, as in the case of today's woman, or figuratively, as in the case of mental illness or addiction or dependence on relationships that are not life-giving, craving things that harm us or kill us, Jesus moves us from being turned in upon ourselves to being turned outwards towards God, towards neighbor, towards the world, towards abundant life and goodness and mercy. There is no state of brokenness or bentness or bleakness that Jesus cannot touch and heal. No state of despair that his hope cannot penetrate. No shame or humiliation that Jesus cannot resurrect. In Christ, old ways of brokenness and bent-overness have passed away. Behold, everything is now brand new. In Christ, all are lifted from oppression. And all are freed, not just one gender one race, or one orientation, but all 
Because in Christ there is neither male nor female, slave nor free, gay nor straight, black nor white, immigrant nor citizen, child nor adult, billionaire nor beggar. Jesus lifts all of our chins from our chests and gives new life. This liberation offends only the pious, not the faithful. And we can live with that. Jesus Christ, Lamb of God, the only chosen one whom Christians confess, risks everything, risks offending the entire world in order to give you new life.